uh, our scripture reading today is Psalm 61, and David Wright is going to come. Uh, out of uh, honor for God's word, let's stand together. Listen as I read. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praise to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're in a series called Psalms of the People. And uh, if you haven't been around for this, uh, we, we, uh, a couple, uh, maybe six weeks ago or so, uh, two months ago, we, we gave an opportunity to you as a congregation to submit psalms uh, that have resonated with you over the course of your life uh, b- due to certain circumstances or certain times in your life where as you have been uh, um, navigating the, the world, uh, you have turned to a specific psalm and found it to be an encouragement or left it, maybe you've read a psalm that left you with questions. And a number of you submitted psalms, and obviously we couldn't preach on all of them, but uh, we've been working our way through the, the ones that we, that we could fit in. And, uh, and today uh, is Psalm 61. And um, it starts off with the psalmist praying. And if you've been around for the series, um, this is a, the sixth week, I think, of the series, uh, and it's a 10-week series. And I mean, almost every one of these psalms starts off with a very overt indication that the psalmist is praying. Uh, it's a prayer book. It's a song book, but it's a prayer book. And, uh, and the psalmist, it, which is not the same author all the time, but the psalmist is frequently praying, and, uh, and overtly so. And, and here we go. In, in Psalm 61, verse 1, uh, it says, hear my cry, O God. So right, right, right there, point blank. Like he is praying. He's praying again. Uh, maybe your Bible has that little, uh, the little notation there before verse 1 that tells us that this is David. Uh, so David is the most common writer of, of the Psalms. And he is the author uh, attributed to Psalm 61. So David is praying. Uh, that's not necessarily news. That, like I said, so many of the Psalms, David is praying. But what I want to take a couple minutes here and look at is, is how it is that he's praying, how it is that he came to God. Maybe you could say the posture uh, that David is, is praying in. As, as you see verse 1, it says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Then verse 2, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. So there's two phrases there, and, and, and they're, they're giving us, at least offering us, a little bit of different perspective. One, from the ends of the earth, and then two, from the end of himself. From, from the ends of the earth probably gives us some indication that he's talking about physical location, maybe the sense of physical challenges, physical distance, from the ends of the earth, from the end, to, to, to the end of the earth, and then from the end of himself. He says, my heart is faint. This is giving us that sense of much more in the emotional world or the emotional location. 
If the first one is this sense that's like, I'm crying out to you from the ends of the earth. It's like there's some sort of physical distance or there's some sort of distance being experienced from the end of himself. My, My heart is faint. Uh, you, know, you know this, like your heart can be faint. You, you can feel incredible emotional disruption and be right beside the person. It's not necessarily physical proximity. It's this emotional reality, this fragility or this vulnerability. The psalmist is saying, I'm praying and I'm coming to you from the end of the earth, from the end of myself. My, my, my heart is faint. He is coming, as he does so many times throughout these psalms, He is coming with all of his stuff, with all of his stuff. One of my favorite things that uh, we uh, get to remind ourselves of when we gather for worship, and we don't do it every single week, uh, but but maybe you've uh, been here on on a Sunday where we've uh, invited you early in our service, something along the lines of, as we gather for worship today, here's our invitation to you. You don't need to check all of your junk at the door. We're not asking you to leave your problems in your car and to come in here and put on the happy face and, and, and we're going to do happy church or leave your problems out in the foyer. But when you're in here, it's no, no. we're saying bring it all in here. Bring it all in here. Bring it all right before the God of heaven. And this psalmist, as he prays, that's what he's doing. It's like as he's praying, he's saying, I didn't check my stuff at the door. I I didn't leave my stuff out there because I'm, I'm here to pray. No, he's saying that that's what prayer is. Prayer is bringing my whole self. It's bringing all that's going on. It's bringing it all and putting it before God. You want to know why? Because God can handle it. Because God can handle all the stuff that's going on in David's life. All of the challenges, whether they're more physical or they're more emotional. God can handle the messiness of David's life. And David had some mess. David has some stuff. Things that he did and things that were done to him. David had a a great deal of what we might refer to today as trauma. And yes, some of, some of it was self-imposed, but some of it wasn't. Uh, David was anointed to be the king of Israel, just the second king, at a pretty young age. That's a lot of responsibility. And there were opportunities time and time again to dethrone the current king, King Saul, who was not living according to God's good design. And yet, at this young age, David had to navigate what it was like to honor authority as he patiently waited for the time that was right. When he did become king, there were attempts to overthrow him as king that happened commonly. But maybe the most traumatic one was when his own son tried to steal the throne from him and ran his own father, ran David, out of Jerusalem. David dealt with a lot of attempts to kill him. Uh, David, uh, King Saul, is his best friend's dad. And King Saul is is consistently trying to kill David. Think about trying to process that. My best friend's dad is actively trying to kill me. The king of the country in which I live is actively trying to kill me. When he becomes king, there's, there's more attempts to take his life. Feels like he's on the, you know, in the bullseye a lot. Uh, David committed adultery. Uh, and then David committed murder when he murdered the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. Uh, David lost a child. Actually, he lost more than one child. 
He lost an infant and, uh, and, a, and an adult son. That's at least the ones that we know about. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, this series was uh, uh, an invitation for people to submit psalms that comforted them or left them with questions at various points in their life. And, and the person that submitted this psalm found this psalm to be of comfort to them in the midst of the loss of their child. An adult losing a child. Maybe you've heard that before, but that's not supposed to happen. Parents aren't supposed to bury their kids. And yet here, um, this, this sojourner navigating that, that severity. Some others of you in this room, you, you've, lost, you've lost children too. It's disorienting. It's, it's heartbreaking. Maybe you could say it's like being at the end of the earth or being at the end of yourself. So David, lots and lots of hard things, lots and lots of trauma, lots and lots of messiness. David was a musician. David was an artist. Uh, maybe, uh, I'm assuming that most of you in this room know the name of a, of a modern artist, uh, Justin Bieber. Any believers in here? Um, so, uh, you know, he, he is, uh, you, you might know the journey of his life. Uh, Justin Bieber is an incredibly gifted uh, musician. He's a, a songwriter, a singer. Uh, he had unspeakable fame at a young age, entertained millions of people around the globe, and at the same time, also experienced uh, some really, really dark days, partly as he navigated the pressures of fame, uh, partly as he had a very public, uh, you know, a number of public personal failures. Uh, and maybe you are aware of the fact that, uh, at least over the last couple years, um, Justin Bieber has publicly talked about how he has tried to process or how to navigate the world as he has lived it. Uh, he's addressed it in a, a number of different interviews, but last year he, he sat in an interview. And, and one of the things that he said in this interview is that the pain, this is, this is Justin Bieber speaking, the pain in the world is just so obvious. And people are looking for hope, and they're looking for a way out, and they're looking for an escape, and they're looking for truth. He went on to say that it's kind of amazing that he's still alive. His, uh, he had substance abuse issues uh, that were uh, running rampant, and while he had some people in his life who loved him and were trying to speak truth into his life, he had a lot of freedom and a lot of power. And uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of stress, all that fame, all that money, all that success, and right along with it, all of that pain and all of that emptiness. Uh, one of my favorite comments from that interview uh, was he said that God loves us through our pain and our dirt. Jesus, Jesus wasn't this religious elite. He was in the dirt and he found me in my dirt. In the middle of those dark days, Justin Bieber cried out to Jesus. It's, it, 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 I'm sharing it with you in part because it's very David-like. That, you know, that those comments from Justin Bieber are very psalmsy. They're, they're honest. They're unvarnished. They're dirty. They're messy. And that's how David comes in his prayer to God. So a, a question for you and for me, if God could handle David's messiness... If God could handle Justin Bieber's messiness, 
then do you think that maybe God can handle your messiness too? Do you think that maybe as you come to the God of heaven in prayer, that you don't have to put on a show? That you don't have to come in and check all the stuff at the door and somehow try to pull the wool over God's eyes to promote yourself or to present yourself in some way that makes you look so good so that maybe you can somehow garner the favor of God? What if it's the exact opposite? Have you considered that maybe you have to get there before your relationship with Jesus is, is really grasped? Until you realize the real situation, until you desperately need a resolution. It seems like David's in that boat a lot where he looks around and it is literally hopeless. As Justin Bieber retells his life, he talks about a season where he looks around and it's just all dark. Maybe you're familiar with uh, one of the accounts in the New Testament where Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, who's this bold, brash follower of Jesus, he gets out of the boat, uh, out in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea, and uh, Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter, with all his normal boldness, gets out of the boat, and he starts walking towards Jesus. And then he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And it's a very tragic situation. And he just, it's like, it's, it's so genuine. He just cries out, and he's like, Lord, save me. And there's like this, 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 this invitation for us to see the desperation of Peter. And just the honesty and the vulnerability in that moment. He's not putting on a show for Jesus. He's not showing Jesus how good he is at walking on the water. He's in desperate need. He recognizes how severe the situation is. God invites us to come like that. Do you think you're in that kind of condition? Do you see yourself as a needy person? Don't you think one of the reasons why the psalmist is such an active prayer is because he actually realizes the situation of his life. He prays and prays and prays. Why don't you and I pray and pray and pray? Why isn't there an urgency and a longing? Why, when we do pray, are we so tempted to come in and put on a show for God? I think in a lot of ways it's because we have not fully owned the severity of our own situation. Well, the psalmist does. The psalmist sees the severity. And maybe you say, well, he sees the severity because his life really was severe. He had all of these real problems. Like, I don't have that many problems. Well, part of the message of the Bible is pulling the covers off of all of our comforts and helping us realize that padded seats and air conditioning and cars that get us wherever we want to, wherever we want to go fast, that all, all of these gifts and all of these comforts, that they are just, they're, they're, they're potentially masking the reality of your need for a rescue. One of the great messages of the Bible is that you are in need. We are needy people. And we should pray like we're needy people. You know, I had an, an older man tell me one time that uh, he realized that God, the, you know, God in heaven was, was more powerful than him and bigger than him. And, uh, and he, had, he, had, uh, he had children. 
and he, uh, when, when his, when his, uh, he knew it was going to be their last kid, and when his last kid was born, he sat down and he prayed, and he talked to God, and he said to God, God, I give you my kids. And he, you know, this is an older man now, his children are all grown. And he said, and that's the only time I ever prayed for my kids, because I trust God with my kids. Now, there might be some sort of way in which there's a sliver of something honorable there where you're recognizing the grandness and greatness of God. But that is such a terrible misunderstanding of the nature of the world, the the nature of God's interaction with our lives, the nature of God's interaction with this current world. And the psalmist models something so much richer and something so much deeper, this consistency, this persistence in prayer. What I want you to also see is that this psalmist is not just an emotional outlet. He's not just venting. He is longing for a resolution. He's praying. He's asking. He's longing for a real answer. As he continues on, he says, The end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's saying, like, I, I need I need answers. I need I need your engagement. I need solutions. I need you to act. It's not just a vent. He's not just letting steam off. He's saying, God, I I need your help. I I need resolution. I need an answer. It's an invitation for us as we come, as we pray. You know, our, our church has uh, started to offer on occasion Wednesday nights where we gather in this room to pray. And um, we, we are not having one in August, uh, but we will have one uh, in September and, th- and throughout the fall. And I, I, I don't know if you know that we do them, but I want to put them on your radar because they are a, a sweet time in a busy life where the schedule can dominate us to come into a room where we're doing nothing but thinking about this relationship that we have with the God of heaven, the fact that he cares about what's going on in our life, the fact that he listens to us and he invites us to come. Right before COVID hit, we were in the middle of launching a prayer room out on the the, the other side of the building and creating space and, and we were working through the strategy of how it would be available to you as a congregation to have a quiet spot. Maybe, maybe you have roommates. Maybe you have a house full of kids. Maybe, maybe your house is, is small. Whatever. You, you don't have space that's dedicated or the resources to, to, to develop your, your, your prayer life. We, we, as COVID fades now, we, we are going to be reopening the prayer room in the, in the months ahead. We offer days of, of fasting. We offer prayer resources at the welcome table. You know, we we, we want to invite you to be people of prayer. We want to, as a church, be a church that prays. But as we do it, we want to take this kind of a posture, a posture where we are more aware of our need, where we are more aware of the fact that the God of heaven actually listens and he cares And we can keep coming to him and we can keep asking, not just to release steam, but actually longing for a real answer. That's how David comes. Well, he gets some. He gets some. The the answer of God. Look at verses 3 through 8. He says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. 
Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. In verse 3, he says, you have been my refuge. God and David have a history. God and David have a history. And in verses 4 and 5, he gives this evidence of getting an answer. Another answer. He says, let me dwell in your tent forever. And then he says, let me take refuge. Now, in our English Bibles, that looks like, let me dwell. Let me take refuge. It sounds like something he's asking if he could maybe do that. Like it's future. But the better way to understand those phrases is that he is not longing for it. He's actually asking God that he would never lose it. That, that, that's the way that the Hebrew unfolds here. Is let me dwell in your tent forever. Meaning I'm in your tent. You, you, you've done this. You've brought me to you. Let, can I have it forever? I have, I have found refuge in you. Don't, like, can, can I have it forever? And so there's this, this joy welling up in, this, in the heart of the psalmist as he has cried out and he has asked God for genuine resolution, for genuine answers. Now he begins to rehearse the history that he's got with God. And this, this man of prayer, this guy who has sought after God and sought after God and with all of his messiness and with all of his mistakes and with all of his train wreck, he's got a history with the God of heaven. And he's saying, God, you've brought me into your tent. Can I stay here forever? God, I found refuge in you. Can I have it forever? I don't want to lose it. He goes on to say, you've heard my vows and you have given me. You, you, you've, you've given me this heritage. And so he, you see, he's, he's reflecting now. And he's saying, God, I cried out to you. I prayed to you. But I have this history with you where you've been the faithful one where you've been the one who's engaged and, and answered and listened. In the message, one of these phrases is translated, God, you always take me seriously. What a good word that is. Do you believe that? You believe the God of heaven always takes you seriously? That is good news. Then he says, prolong the life of the king. May, be, may he be enthroned forever. So is David talking about himself? D David's the king. He says, you know, prolong the life of the king. May, be, may he be enthroned forever. Is David saying, hey, God, like I'm, I've got another one. My new request is that I would live forever. You know, prolong my life. Let my life last generation after generation after generation. May I be enthroned forever. Well, I mean, there could be a, a hint at that. But what the, 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 the more scholars conclude here is that David is reflecting on the promise that God made to him, the covenant that God made with David. And that is that there would be someone from the line of David who would sit on the throne forever. That, 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 that the son of David would reign and rule forever. The promise of a Messiah. That word Messiah is translated Christ. In Greek, David's reflecting here. He's saying, this king, this one that you said would reign forever. God, please, please bring that to fruition. Well, this is exactly what the Jews went on to believe from the time of David forward. They, 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 they buy into this. They, they believe that there will be a son of David who will rule and reign forever. 
The Jews believed it. They were waiting for this Messiah to come. They were waiting for the son of David, the lineage of David. All of those things mattered very, very much to the Jewish people. But guess what? It also messed them up. It messed them up because when the Messiah actually showed up a thousand years after this, they missed him. About a thousand years after David, this very idea is one of the stumbling blocks that so many Jews could not get over. As Jesus walked among them, as Jesus taught and spoke the words of God, the Jews often looked at Jesus and they concluded, how could Jesus be the Messiah? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't match the descriptions that we have in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus is crucified and he dies, the Jews say, well, of course he can't be the Messiah. He died. Our Messiah is going to rule and reign forever. He was poor. He didn't raise up an army. He didn't overthrow our enemies. He couldn't be the Messiah. He doesn't fit our description. In John chapter 12, uh, there's this, uh, this sequence of, of uh, this, this conversation from verse 20 through verse 36 where, where Jesus is interacting with the crowds. And, and part, of, part of what Jesus says through this conversation is a quote of Psalm 61. So there's some Greeks, these, these, the non-Jewish people, they want to meet Jew, Jesus. The disciples bring them to Jesus. Jesus interacts with them. And he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Lord will honor him. Then the conversation shifts. And Jesus says, my heart's troubled. I know what's coming down the road. My crucifixion is coming. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come. Father, Glorify your name. Well, the crowd stands there, which is full of more Jewish people. They heard what Jesus said, and they're confused by it. And in verse 34, the crowd says this to Jesus. Well, that, like, that can't be. We have heard from the law, and this is the quote from Psalm 61, that Christ remains forever. Christ remains forever. Th this king that we're waiting for, is going to be enthroned forever. This king's going to last forever. You can't die. You can't give up your life. That doesn't fit our description. In other words, Jesus is walking around right in front of the people that are looking for a Messiah, and they don't see him because they've got their own description. Not long after this conversation in John 12, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the Sunday of Passover week. And on the Sunday of Passover week, the Jewish people, it's a, this is a high week for them, they would have been gathered in all kinds of places, primarily in the temple, and they would have been singing psalms, these psalms right here. They would have been singing some of these very psalms, longing for the Messiah to show up. And Jesus is riding into Jerusalem right in front of them. And they miss him. They are singing songs longing for him, missing him while he's right in front of them. Now, what do you do with this? You roll your eyes and say, ignorant, clueless, first century Jews, they just don't get it. 
man, I would say, whoa, like, hold on, be careful. Do you have any misconceptions of God? Do you have any misconceptions of Jesus? Let me answer for all of us. Yes. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Yes, we do. When we find them, we should turn from them. Do we know all of them? My bet is that we do not. That is why we should take the seat of the learner. The Jewish people who were longing for the Messiah, for the king who would be enthroned forever, missed the king. It is so easy for us to miss what's right in front of us. That, that, that is why humility should mark the people of God. You know, a few different times in the pages of the Old Testament, there's this language that's used, and, and it's, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. Seek, seek the Lord while he may be found, and you'll find him. And then a few different times in Jesus' life, he takes that Old Testament language and kind of evokes it. He, he, he uh, refers to it. And he says things like, knock, the door will be opened. Seek, and you'll find it. Follow me. Trust me. Like, there's this call from Jesus. He's, it's, it's like he's taking the same idea from the Old Testament, and he's saying now to us in the New Testament age, it's easy to miss me. It's easy to miss me, but the answers might not be as far as you think. Seek me. Have the posture of the learner. Take the seat of the learner. Be a seeker. And when you seek with all your heart, you might just find out that the most important answers in the whole wide world are closer and clearer than you thought. You know, sometimes we go to the Bible and we want the Bible to tell us what job to take or what car to buy or who to marry. You know, the, the Bible is not giving you those kinds of answers. It may give you some parameters that you can navigate and then make a decision. But what the Bible does clearly offer us is where the hope of eternal life can be found. And sometimes we're walking around and we're so distraught about our life. And the answers are, are, are right here. The offer, the invitation that, that, that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. That the hope of your eternal life rests in him. And it's clear. And it's close. We are needy. And that should lead us to humility. It should lead us to a posture of seeking. But God is a provider who is offering to us what we most need. Well, what else might this mean? Look at how he ends. So you get to verse 8. This is what he says. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. So yes, humility. Yes, seeking. Yes, learning. Yes, correcting our doctrinal errors. Yes, correcting our errors in practice. But also confidence and joy. You see, what David looked forward to, an eternal king enthroned forever, that actually came true. And it was better than David could have ever imagined. This rock 
that he's longing for, this rock that is higher than him. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the ultimate rock that is higher and stronger than any of us could have ever dared to dream. This king, this King Jesus, came and lived and died and then rose again. And in all of that, he conquered sin, Satan, death, and all of our enemies. And then the Bible goes on to say that he's coming back to make all things new. See, Jesus Christ has won. And now you get to receive all that that means. I want to go back to Justin Bieber in that interview that he did last year. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. When he cried out to Jesus, he said, and the quote will be on the screen behind me, God loves us through our pain and our dirt. Jesus wasn't this religious elite, but he was in the dirt. He found me in my dirt and pulled me out. The pain in the world is just so obvious. And people are looking for hope and they're looking for a way out and they're looking for an escape and they're looking for the truth. I've gotten the opportunity with my journey to just see a God who accepts me, loves me, They call him the Savior, and I believe that to be true, that Jesus saved me. The way I look at God and my relationship with Jesus is I'm not trying to earn God's love by doing good things. God has already loved me for who I am before I did anything to earn or deserve it. It's a free gift by accepting Jesus, giving your life to him. And what he did is the gift. The forgiveness is the thing. That we look at and we go, you know, I'm going to worship you, God, because you gave me something so good. The psalmist in verse 3 said the Lord has been his refuge, a strong tower. He said the Lord has heard him and given him an inheritance. Do you think that being heard by the God of heaven? Do you think that being given an inheritance makes a difference? It did for Justin Bieber. He had all the earthly accolades. He had it all, all the fame, all the wealth. But it was the smile of God upon him. It was the fact that God loves him, that God will actually forgive him and welcome him in. Give him something, as Justin said, so good. He's heard by the God of heaven. He's given an inheritance that the people of God get. The people of God, this community, this family that you get brought into through Christ that gives you this new, more essential identity of who you really are. You think that makes a difference in your life? I heard Tim Keller use an illustration one time. He said, what, what if, just think about two people who are hired to do the same menial job. They, they sit in a room with no window and they are given you know, a, a handful of parts And they're supposed to put this part on top of this part, on top of this part, on top of this part. And they put it in the basket. And then they do it again. And they put this part on top of this part, on top of this part, on top of this part. And they put it in the basket. And all day long, that's what they do. Every day, they come in and they put these these handful of pieces together. And they're just making widgets. Now, imagine that one of the people in one of the rooms is told that they're getting paid $9 an hour to do that. And then in the other room, the other person is told that they're getting paid $900 an hour. Now they go to work making their widgets. You think that might change how they handle their eight-hour day? 
You think that might make a difference on their posture towards their work, how they work? You see, David is living now with humble, joyful confidence because of what is coming. And that is offered to the people of God. The Christian life is not just pie in the sky by and by. As one pastor said, we get to start slicing it right now. The promise of what is coming changes how you look at your life right now. The psalmist ends this psalm by saying, So shall I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows every day. In other words, whistle while you work. That, that's his point. He's saying, I have problems. I've got tons of mess. My life isn't right. But do you know what's coming? Do you know what the reward is? Do you know what God has won for me? Do you know what he is offering? A whole new perspective on struggle. A whole new perspective on the losses that you've endured. A whole new perspective on all the blessings that you have. It changes the way that you see the world. See, the real situation of the people of God, those who have placed their faith in Christ, should lead to humility and confidence at the exact same time. It should lead to joy and obedience at the exact same time. It should lead to resting and seeking at the exact same time. Faith and action. You know, sometimes we treat these things as either or, but the Bible seems to treat them as much more like both and. You know, some of us, maybe you grew up like I did, and it's like obedience was super important, but there was no joy to be found. It's like, you know, reading verse 8 of Psalm 61, it's like, I performed my vows day after day, but I wouldn't sing praises. I wasn't blown away by the goodness of God. I wasn't like Justin Bieber saying, God, I'm going to worship you because you've given me something so good. That's what's hitting David. And brothers and sisters, that's what's in, we're invited to have that hit us. Do you see what Jesus has done? David and Justin Bieber and countless other people over the course of human history have tasted and seen this. Have you? Has it changed the way that you live your life right now? You don't need to put on a show. You don't need to keep your vows to get God to love you. That you actually should be singing songs of praise, that your, your heart should be on fire, that you should be whistling while you work. I referenced this passage a few weeks ago, but I want to close with this. This is the message's uh, translation of Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14. This is, this is how it reads. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? I'll lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God to do, and I'll do it together with his people. It, it seems like in some senses, this is a summary of Psalm 61. I'm blown away by what he's done for me, and it's going to change the way I live my life. If a God gives gifts like that, I can trust them. If God is that good, then I can walk in his good way. And I'm not doing it to earn anything. I'm doing it in response to the fact that he's given me something so good. Have you tasted that? Have you seen what Jesus has won for you? If you have, don't lose the joy. Don't lose the joy of what's been won for you. Now we're going to come to the table. And as you come up here, part of the invitation with the bread and the cup is, you know, why physical symbols? Why can't we just say Christ died for you? 
Because part of eating that bread and tasting it on your tongue and tasting that juice on your tongue, part of that is this physical engagement with the truths of a crucified and risen Christ. A Christ who went to the cross and spilled his blood so that you could be brought to God. If you've tasted and seen that, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then come to this table and get the bread and get the cup. If you haven't, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it is just as available to you as it ever has been to anybody. All you need is need. Do you recognize how much you're in need of a rock higher than you? Are you aware of how desperately you are in need of someone who can rule forever and cause you to live forever? It's offered in the person of Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus, there are prayers in your bulletin. We'd encourage you to, to take a look at those as they might be a help uh, to form some words in talking with God. If our servers could please come forward, uh, we're going to pray and uh, partake. God, thank you for this uh, text. Thank you for this passage, Psalm 61, full of such beautiful ideas and such rawness. And God, when we think of a psalm written by David, it's appropriate to, to survey David's life and to recognize that he is not uh, this perfect example of obedience, of holiness, of trusting you. God, he, he's, he's got a lot of carnage, made a lot of decisions that hurt, hurt a lot of people, a lot of decisions that hurt himself. God, maybe we can relate. But even if we can't, God, would you help us to see that our souls need to be brought from dead to alive, that our sins need to be addressed and forgiven. And the only one who can do that is your son, Jesus. We thank you for sending him. We thank you that he died in our place. We thank you that he rose again, and we cannot wait for him to return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.